Welcome to the business of biotech. If you've listened to our summer executive sessions, you'll be familiar with Bolt Biotherapeutics. We had a great conversation with Bolt CEO Randy Schatzman about how he's keeping the money train rolling despite the disruption of COVID-19. On today's episode, we're jumping into CMC and patient centricity considerations with two of Dr. Schatzman's brightest stars, Drs. Edith Perez, CMO, and Nathan Isle, CTO at Bolt. This was a particularly fun and informative episode because it really illustrates the importance of a connection that can be easy to lose, that between the technicalities of CMC considerations in preparation for first-in-human studies and the patient-first responsibilities that make the chief medical officer role so important for clinical stage biotechs. Let's give it a listen. On this episode of the Business of Biotech, I am thrilled to sit down with two of Bolt Biotherapeutics' uh, finest new, in both cases, uh, stars, uh, Dr. Edith Perez, who just joined the company as Chief Medical Officer, and Dr. Nathan Isle, who uh, recently took the post of VP of CMC and Quality. Doctors Perez and Isle, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. I'm thrilled to have you. Uh, so before we get into today's discussion, which is going to uh, focus on CMC considerations for first in-human studies, uh, I just wanted to give a, a brief uh, background on our guest today. Um, we'll start with Dr. Perez. So in addition to her role at Bolt, the new role at Bolt, Dr. Perez is a supplemental consultant uh, uh, in hematology and oncology and cancer biology at the Mayo Clinic, uh, where she's also been a professor of medicine for the past 19 years and where she served as director of the clinic's breast cancer translational genomics program for the past 11 years. She's also served as VP and head of the U.S. Bio-Oncology Medical Unit at Genentech and served on the boards of the American Association for Cancer Research and the Alliance for Clinical Trials in Oncology. Did I forget anything there, Dr. Perez? Did I miss anything major? Oh, that was really good. Thank you. Well, it's a pretty thorough CV. So uh, Dr. Isle, for his part, is, uh, is also founder and principal of Isle CMC Solutions. He received his PhD in chemistry from Stanford, uh, directed chemistry at Pathogenesis and Celltech, uh, served as VP of CMC Strategy and Management at Seattle Genetics, and as VP of Manufacturing Strategy at Immunomedics before joining Bolt uh, in December, I believe. Is that correct, Dr. Al? Yes. Yep. Did I miss anything for, uh, uh, on your background? No, that's great. Thank so, you. yeah, I'd say that uh, based on, 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 those, uh, on those CVs, there's a wealth of information here that, uh, and expertise that is uh, the combination of you two is super fitting for this conversation. I can't imagine a better combination of talent for the conversation. So uh, let's, let's begin with some basics. I'll start with you, Dr. Prez. Uh, what is an IND and what does it mean? Yeah, an IND is a program that has been set up uh, by the FDA so that either researchers or pharmaceutical companies can apply to do essentially two things. Number one, uh, evaluate a new agent or a combination of agents uh, to be first used in humans. Um, and number two, to allow actually for that investigational agent to be transported from state to state 
before the agent has been formally approved by the FDA. Because you know, you may know that, that the regulations in the US actually prohibit companies from shipping uh, investigational drugs from state to state, uh, unless there's an IND that has been approved by the FDA. So critically important for our research. Hmm. Thank you, Dr. Perez. Anything to add there, uh, Dr. Ah? Yeah, I would say that uh, one of the key things is the, the IND, uh, the documentation is a, a system that's been set up so that the, the um, researchers, whether they're academic researchers or industry, can explain to the FDA why we believe that uh, an agent is safe to take into humans for testing and explain sort of the, the biological rationale and how we intend to do manufacturing in a way that won't put patients at uh, unreasonable risk. And so it's, it's really our chance to tell a story to the health authorities about why it's, uh, it's a calculated risk anytime you do a, an experiment in, in humans, but why we believe that it's um, justified. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, and you touched on on manufacturing, Doctor Isle, beyond the rationale for uh, for for the, the the potential therapy itself. Um, what component of, of that IND involves CMC chemistry manufacturing and controls? Yeah. So, as you as you said, CMC stands for chemistry manufacturing and controls, and that's really the set of information that. Uh, we put together to explain how we are manufacturing a, a, a test agent and how we intend to make sure that it is consistent from batch to batch to batch and isn't going to be um, containing dangerous impurities and, and things like that. So there's a, there's a, um, a, a structured format in which we put together information and, and organize it in a way so that the uh, FDA and other health authorities around the world can make a, make a fair assessment of, of the, the, um, the manufacturing systems and practices that we will use, that we intend to use in both the, the first in human manufacturing and then as you go through later uh, development, um, updates to that that manufacturing process. Mm -hmm. uh, as as it relates to the IND, can you, can you both perhaps uh, give me a little bit of um, detail on what's required in that IND application as it relates to CMC documentation? And I understand your point, Dr. Allen. We'll talk about that shortly here about how the CMC aspect uh, kind of ebbs and flows and maybe changes along the way. But initially, when you're looking at the IND, uh, what, what sort of requirements does FDA expect around CMC? Well, you're expected to explain why you um, designed the manufacturing process the way you have implemented it. Um, what, you under, what you do know about um, process variability or, or how much one batch may differ from an, uh, another and then you're expected to put in, in in place some some explanation of what kinds of risks you would expect uh, to be associated with the differences 
the batch-to-batch -batch differences that you are seeing. And, and this is where a close collaboration with the, the biologists and the medical group, the medical groups becomes very important. One of the things that we do is we produce batches of the, the test drug that are, are evaluated in animals before you go into humans. And in animals, you can investigate um, uh, for signs of uh, toxicity or, or activity. And so that gives us the opportunity then to try and build the link between safety and efficacy that you would see in patients. And so we work very closely with the, our medical and biologic colleagues in sort of characterizing the material, seeing what its um, physical properties, what its impurity profile is, um, what its strength is. Amad, if I may, and Nathan, if I may add to this, you know, the component of, first of all, you know, what else it's in the investigation on new drug application, ING, and how this manufacturing is so critical for uh, the patients who volunteer, who participate in these clinical studies. Because in the IND, you know, we have essentially three main components. We, we are touching on the manufacturing aspect, and the other two components are the preclinical data that really justify our uh, interest or confidence that this is an agent that is appropriate to go into, into human studies. And the preclinical data may be cell lines, mirror models, you know, non-human primates. So that the fact that we need a very accurate manufacturing in these preclinical models uh, is extremely important because that's really where the data are being derived that will help us take uh, the new agent in, into the clinic. And certainly the other aspect of the IND that we haven't touched on, but I just wanted to close that particular loop. In the IND, the, the third component, uh, in addition to the CMC and the preclinical models, it's really the information that is needed for the investigators, regula regulators, and even patients, actually, patients could look at this. Uh, that includes the, the information that we have about the agent. So it may include investigators brochure, it includes the detailed the clinical protocol that we will use. So we're very transparent related to the information that is compiled within the IND. So having this accurate manufacturing is extremely important. You know, it's actually our ethical obligation to do so. And we want to give the, the agent the best opportunity of working. So we want the same agent that we tested in preclinical models to be evaluated in patients. Sure. Yeah. yeah, and I'll just uh, continue on from there. The uh, the the document is is actually quite large, um, mm -hmm. and there are several defined sections um, within the CMC um, part of the document. We talk about what is the manufacturing process, but we also talk about what are the tests we use to um, to. Uh, understand the structure of the of the um, agent that we're doing. So we have a panel of analytical test methods uh, that uh, assess the the purity, the potency, um, defining what the impurities are, and we apply this panel. It, it's really an arsenal of of test methods to our different batches of of uh, product that have been produced. And so we we look at some of the key batches, the batches that were used in preclinical uh, testing, 
the batches that will be used in, uh, in the clinical investigation. And we define, um, uh, we define what we call specifications for, for the materials, whether they're intermediates or the, or the actual test agent. And the, a specification is a set of tests and we call them acceptance criteria. You know, if we say that this batch is going to be 98% pure, and if we get a batch that is 97.5% pure, it falls out of specification and we won't use it. We won't take it into patients. We won't take it into, into um, the studies because we haven't met our specification. We haven't met the criteria that we have agreed on with, within the company, with our, with our clinical uh, colleagues and with the regulators to say that um, this is good enough, pure enough, potent enough to um, take into patients. That's how, you know, we're always focused on um, uh, sort of looking for activity, but also very rigorous about safety. We don't want to put patients at uh, unnecessary risk. Yeah, uh, just in listening to your responses to the last, that last question, um, I, I'm, I'm picking up on the fact that the CMC section of the IND requires a lot of collaboration organizationally within a company like, like Bolt Bio. Um, you mentioned the medical group. So obviously, Dr. Al, you and Dr. Perez are working closely together in that regard. Uh, manufacturing, preclinical, clinical, quality and regulatory, these are all different personas within, within the company who, who kind of amalgamate at, at the CMC section of the ND. Who, who else? Are we missing anyone? Is there anyone else organizationally, other, uh, other departments within the organization that contribute to uh, that CMC section? Um, I think you've got uh, really most of the team, but quality is, uh, quality is a, a, a part of the organization that sort of looks across the whole set of operations. And there's quality assurance and quality control that knit together all the different parts, parts and pieces, and make sure that everything is is um, operating in a uh, a safe a safe way, and that is going to follow the regulations and the regulatory expectations. Yeah. Um, so FDA obviously puts a lot of emphasis on CMC, and ultimately that's. Uh, to you know, to to benefit patient patient safety, um, is there any are, are there any other maybe less obvious reasons that uh, FDA emphasizes the CMC portion of the IND so much, and why why that's so important for first in human studies? Be, as I said, beyond the obvious. Um, you know, I think I think the key is they're looking at uh, safety. Um, they're also looking at consistency and, and is, is there an expectation that um, every batch we make will be able to um, meet the expectations? Um, they're, they're looking for um, uh, us to demonstrate that we have a, a very thorough understanding of the molecule and the processes by which we make and test the molecule. It's, it's really 
how how certain can we be that every batch is going to be acceptable? Yeah. Yeah, Mana, you can see how tremendously important this is certainly for the agency, for us as a company, and particularly for patients. Right. Um, you know, uh, patients are volunteering to participate in this first in human uh, studies, um, really because they have disorders, diseases, for which there's no other standard therapy that would improve their lives. So patients have a lot of hope uh, for their participation in, in the future, really. And uh, they expect us to be tremendously rigorous related to the agent that we administer. So as Matt said, you know, our ability to work as a team is tremendously important for our patients. Mm -hmm. Yeah, excellent. So, uh, Dr. Ali, I know you wanted to, to chat just a little bit about uh, any nuance or maybe differences uh, in the in the CMC section on uh, depending on where first in human studies are being conducted. Is is there a can you give us some context on that? Well, it's it's really important as you design your first in human studies to make a conscious decision about what uh, countries you want to work in because each country may have um, some uh, different expectations and different regulations that, that um, you need to be aware of and make sure you're complying with. Um, there's been a, a, a strong global um, effort to try and harmonize much of the uh, CMC expectations and, and not just CMC, but the whole the whole um, drug development process. There are international bodies that are, are trying to align things so that it's less complex to um, mount international uh, uh, investigations and so that it's, you can more reliably translate findings in one region into another. So there's this uh, big effort on international cooperation, but in spite of that, there are still differences. And, and so it's very important to understand what are the local expectations. The expectations for running a first in human study in Australia are somewhat different from South Korea or the US. And so you just need to be, work with your clinical colleagues, work with your regulatory colleagues to uh, define where you intend to to uh, run your FIH um, program. And then also looking ahead after that FIH phase, where do you need to be poised to go? What is the data set that you will need to, to reach the, the areas that are most important and most appropriate for your particular drug? Mm -hmm. And Edith, I'm sure you have uh, a lot to to comment about uh, international trials. Oh, yes, you know, the, the, the good thing is that uh, there are many investigators who want to be part of progress. They want to be part of investigational studies. At the same time, we need to be very cautious uh, to be sure that we thoroughly understand their, not only their interests, but, but the, the regulatory environment that they practice on, and also the, uh, the, the aspect that I'm gonna bring up the patients again. Uh, the you know the feelings of the patients uh, because they are really our collaborators in this process. But it, uh, uh, as Nathan said, you know the good thing 
is that uh, people are, are truly trying to work together to facilitate the process, which is ultimately what we need to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'll, 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 uh, I'll go ahead and roll out the red carpet for that patient uh, conversation, Dr. Perez, because I wanted to uh, t turn to you and ask, I mean, obviously there are strictly regulated uh, guideposts around first in human studies. But within those guideposts, uh, you know, I've, I've talked to enough uh, biopharma companies to know that there are, um, I guess, corporate or, or cultural approaches or tenets to approaching first in human studies that, that vary a little bit uh, from, from one company to the next. You've got a lot of experience in this area, patient centricity, uh, clinical trials. Uh, first in human studies. What do you consider the, the central tenets of, of patient centricity, if you will, as you enter a first in human study? Yeah, the central tenet is that we do this work because we want to deliver answers for our patients. You know, the rest falls in. Uh, but in the area of cancer, you know, it's a huge problem in the United States as well as globally. And in spite of all of the advances that have been made, there is a huge patient need. And we are really focused on doing the best we can, bring the best science, bring the best people, uh, bring the best manufacturing in the context of our discoveries in the clinic. And we want to translate all of this knowledge uh, to patients. Uh, because I tell you, if we can sh help shrink tumors, if we can prolong pro you know, progression of tumors, and if we can improve survival, I tell you, we can uh, rest well each night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is, is, is patient risk mitigation as, as simple as sort of following the, the regulatory uh, toxicity study formula and, and other uh, study formulas that are designed to avoid risk to the patient? Or is there any more to that story? Yeah, you used the word simple, and I would not apply that <laughs> one to the situation, actually. <laughs> At the same time, you know, the one aspect is simple, and we want to be very rigorous and uh, transparent related to, to safety. And we want to have a lot of consistency rela related to the way we assess safety, mm -hmm. the, the way we document the safety, and report the safety if we find any. So uh, we, we have some guidelines that we utilize, but I tell you, uh, sometimes we encounter cases and they're not within the exact guidelines. So we need to use a lot of medical assessment to make the right determination. But for us, you know, patient safety is paramount. The business of biotech is brought to you in partnership with Cytiva. Together, we're committed to helping the leaders of new and emerging biopharma companies navigate the financial, organizational, human resources, and regulatory waters you'll encounter on your way from discovery to the clinic and beyond. Check out a host of useful resources for biotech leaders at Cytiva's Emerging Biotech Accelerator at CytivaLifeSciences.com backslash Emerging Biotech. That's C-Y-T-I-V-A LifeSciences.com backslash Emerging Biotech. Just to sort of wrap up the, the uh, patient centricity uh, conversation, not, not that... Not, not that I want to differentiate it, you know, starkly from the rest of the conversation, but as it relates to your direct interaction uh, with patient, patients as you enter first in human study, um, I'm curious how you manage uh, patient expectations around those study opportunities. You know, uh, the human beings, in, in my view, are, uh, are good. 
uh, you know, as a, as a general comment. This situation is particularly um, a sensitive issue for me in the setting of advanced cancers, uh, because cancer is just too common in the world, as I alluded to earlier. And people are faced with a lot of uncertainties. So patients expect all of us to do our job well. And number two, they hope to benefit themselves and many times actually benefit others as they participate in clinical studies. So it is very critical for all of us to listen to our patients. They're really part of the team so that we can deliver on their hopes and be really clear about what we're trying to accomplish in these first in human studies because they may or may not be direct benefit to patients. Actually, this happens in clinical research. It happens in a standard clinical practice. Not every benefits from everything, but we can learn from each experience, which can ultimately help that patient in the future, or perhaps others uh, that may suffer from that disease uh, later on. So it's, it's, a, it's a true collaboration. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So, Doctor, I want to I want to revisit a point that you made earlier on in our conversation, and I want to preface preface the point by pointing out that um, so Bolt Bio, Bio is a is a, a clinical stage company. So you you've got clinical experience there at Bolt. You've got clinical experience um, in, in your in your previous roles, and you mentioned earlier that uh, as you move into you know phase one to phase three trials, uh, CMC. Uh, there, there may be some some variable uh, there, right? It might it might change along the way. So, um, tell us about that. What what you know do do they, do they change and 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 why? Well, yeah, you have to expect there will be substantial change in in the CMC package in the manufacturing as you go from first in human to uh, actual marketed drug. Um, and as you progress through the clinical stages and then onto the, onto the market, um, there's a lot of evolution and it comes down to two or three main points. One is um, you learn a lot more about your drug and the manufacturing processes associated with that drug. So you have, you invest a lot in, in, uh, really getting into all the weeds, understanding all the nuance about the the molecule, um, what's important, how does how does a small change in the manufacturing process change the the we call it the the quality attributes of the drug. You know, so does it? Um, can you tweak the process to in, improve the purity? Can you? Um, can you, uh, you know, modify some of your, um, your uh, manufacturing steps to improve the yield so that you get a, a more cost-effective uh, drug and a manufacturing process? So it's, it's this deep investigation of the drug and, and its properties as well as the manufacturing process. The second area is that you are going to have to, in almost all cases, you're going to have to uh, increase the scale of manufacture. You know, so for a uh, first in human trial of of um, you know uh, an antibody, you may be making or a, a antibody um, uh, immunoconjugate like uh, we work with in at Bolt, 
you may be making a few hundred grams or a couple of kilograms of, of the test agent. As you go to, toward commercialization, you're going to have to be able to make hundreds of kilograms, even uh, metric ton quantities of, of material. And so that forces you to change your, your equipment. It forces you to change how you run the, the, the manufacturing plant um, uh, in order to be able to handle that, that much larger scale. And so you're doing a lot of investigation of how the change in scale might change the process. And finally, uh, really the third area is as, as the advancement through clinic uh, progresses, you really understand what is the right way to um, deliver the, the drug to the patient who needs it and the physician who is coordinating the administration. Um, and the healthcare provider. Um, and these are, are often market-driven um, activities. For example, do, um, do you need to be able to have an adjustment in the actual dose that gets administered to individual patients based on their body weight or disease state or how often they're being treated? And so that really helps you to define what's the, the commercial presentation um, that is going to be acceptable to the healthcare providers and the patients. And so you have to change the, the final product that we produce um, to something that is going to work in the marketplace. So those are sort of three big areas where things are evolving as you go along. And as you go toward commercialization, um, the regulatory expectations in all these areas become much more rigorous because you're talking about putting a drug out into the marketplace where you're not going to have every patient under the same level of intense uh, management and oversight that they would have if they were a part of an FIH clinical trial. If you're uh, get, getting a, a drug into the commercial marketplace, you need to be able to have confidence that, um, that if anything goes wrong, um, you're going to be able to prevent that drug from getting sold. So, so you're, you're really tightening up your manufacturing controls all along the way. Yeah. How, how much of that process uh, is... Um is, is uh, I'll ask this at a, at a very high level in a very si simple terms. Sorry, sorry, Dr. Perez, I'm using the word simple again. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's aren't, aren't biologics simple? Um, how, how much of that process, Dr. Isle, is proactive versus uh, revealed to you along the way? Is, is there a, a pretty standard balance or does that, is that, does that differ from, from company to company in your experience? Um, I, I would say that there's a, a lot of proactive investigation. So as we develop manufacturing processes, we actually stress them. We intentionally do things a little bit wrong to see how much of an impact there is. Mm -hmm. um, and we try to define, by, by the time we get to commercial, 
uh, commercial manufacturing, you try to understand things in such detail that you can say with a, a degree of uh, confidence, we talk about what's an edge of failure. Okay, so if the temperature is usually, the temperature of a, a reaction is normally 25 degrees centigrade, do you know that it will fail if you run it at 26 or 27 or 28 degrees? This is the kind of testing that we do proactively, intentionally to define our manufacturing process. Some things, of course, you cannot predict. And so we're always trying to keep a, a, a critical assessment of, of what's going on and, and monitoring for those unexpected changes, those things that don't just, they don't quite look right. Is that an early signal of something that, that you really need to pay attention to? Okay. Um, get, getting back to the FDA's expectation around uh, reporting on, on changes to CMC along the way, uh, what, what are some processes or systems that, uh, you would that, that you've found success with or would recommend perhaps uh, to uh, manage and document these changes? Well, a lot of this is defined by the FDA, um, and they have rules and regulations about how you will update the IND documentation. There's an expectation of an annual report of, of you know, what is changing in, in your understanding of, of the process. And then there are sort of major touch points at the end of phase one or at the end of phase two, uh, where you will often have a, a formal meeting with the FDA where you discuss your results your plans and, and try to uh, get um, concurrence with the, uh, with the regulators about the suitability of your plans and, and uh, really dig into the nuance of, of the, the CMC package. And, and these are very valuable meetings for the, the, the innovator company because it gives the opportunity to tap into the deep expertise within FDA. FDA has seen so many things come across their desk. Um, they've seen things that we haven't even dreamed of. And, and you want to be able to tap that expertise in guiding uh, the work that we do to in improve the, the chances of our success. Yeah, Dr. Perez, anything? I, I, I want to make sure that I'm not, uh, I'm giving you an opportunity to, to jump in there if you've got anything to add. No, this is beautiful. Uh, what Nathan described, you know, their guidelines that have been established by the FDA. It's good to understand those guidelines and follow those guidelines. And like, like almost everything in life, it's good to leverage expertise and bring the best so that we can ultimately deliver on our goals. Yeah, yeah, that is a it is a great point, uh, and one that I didn't see coming around uh, taking that opportunity to learn from the FDA because of course, uh, of course, you're right. I mean, they've, you know, it's like the uh, what is it, the farmers farmers insurance commercial. We know a few things because we've seen a few things, and I'm sure the FDA has. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I want to I want to jump to uh, another point that you made earlier, uh, Doctor Isle, around uh, scale up. Uh, mm -hmm. 
what are some uh, common pitfalls or uh, problems that can occur 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 during the uh, the scale up process? Okay, yeah, there there are a few things that um, can uh, uh, come up as, as you try to scale up. Some of the sort of uh, some of the steps that um, you would do in a, a small scale, like in a, a test tube or in a, a flask on, on, in your laboratory bench, you can't replicate those mechanics if you're working in thousands of liter volumes. Um, if in biologics, we're dealing with um, cells and cells are growing and cells are very particular to their, their environment. Um, and so the, some of the things that cells will do on a bench top, they won't do, or they will do very differently when you're in a 10,000 liter tank. And so you need to be very careful as you go up in scale, especially with biological processes. Um, keeping in mind things as mundane as what, what is the physical geometry of your vessel? You know, is the, is the uh, ratio of the diameter to the depth being held constant? And you have to think about things like, um, you know, gas transport. Um, you know, cells need, need and, and produce various gases. And so you need to be oxygenating or, or purging your, your, um, your vessels uh, in a way that um, with a, a mechanical system that works even if you're at 10,000 liter scale. Uh, another thing is that some of the things that some of the equipment uh, doesn't scale well um, and so you have to you have to switch to a different sort of type of physical operation to, as you go from small scale to large scale. Um, and, and so every time you do this kind of a, a change, every change needs to be assessed. Does it change the way the process runs? Does it change the quality of the, of the material that you're producing? And is that, if there is change, does that present a risk to the patients? Are, are, your, are they either gonna be getting um, uh, more impurities or fewer impurities? Are they gonna have uh, a, a dose that is as active as the dose was if you were using your small scale process? So you're doing a constant check of uh, qual product quality as you go up in scale. We're, uh, we're running a, a bit short on time here, um, but I, I want to, uh, so I'm probably not gonna have enough time to get to everything I wanted to ask you. Uh, but I, I do want to uh, hit on one more question before I give an opportunity to uh, share some concluders with us. Um, so the, the, the IND uh, is built to be uh, so somewhat flexible to allow this change along the way that we talked about around CMC. Um, at some point, uh, minor changes become major changes, major changes become material changes, and suddenly you're looking at a completely different animal than you were in the beginning. How much is too much? Uh, what, what, what can't be changed? At what point do your changes constitute uh, the FDA saying, you know what, let's back up and start over? 
Um, there's no, no clear um, bright line that defines how much change is too much. And, and so this is a, another example of where very close coordination with the health authorities is, is critical. Um, if you change the molecular entity, that's obviously a change that is going to have to go back and, and start from scratch in, in terms of testing uh, safety and efficacy. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the, the rest of the, the analysis is very much uh, 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 exercising uh, risk assessment. And you can address some of the risks by um, you know, animal studies or other safety studies to convince yourself that the, the, um, the change is not likely to be uh, uh, impactful in patients. But sometimes you have to just go even back into humans and, and do a test, uh, a comparison in, in patients um, or test subjects that, um, to see if you can detect uh, a difference in behavior of, of your uh, drug before and after the change. Excellent. Well, this is uh, this has been super enlightening. Uh, I really enjoy the conversation. I want to again give you each an opportunity to share some uh, some concluding thoughts with us. Keeping in mind, you know, you're speaking to a, 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 an audience of of perhaps first time biopharma CEOs, new and emerging companies that are looking for advice from from veterans like you. We'll start with you, Dr. Perez. Uh, any concluding uh, nuggets of wisdom? Yeah, no, a few. Uh, number one, you know, regulators around the world are working together to optimize the system. And uh, number two, for us in the, the U.S., uh, you know, the FDA provides some good guidelines that uh, we can follow. We at Bolt, you know, have lived it. Um, number one, we had to write an IND, have it reviewed by the FDA, and that we were able to take, uh, with the approval of the FDA, our first compound into the clinic. So uh, as a CMO for the company, I'm really proud of the work that has been done. And again, it's a stepwise approach. Uh, you do the work, uh, you do the accurate manufacturing, and then we, we feel confident that this was the right time for us to start our phase one uh, clinical trial. So if you follow the steps in a wise way, bring uh, your, your previous knowledge, learn, as you go through, I think we're going to be successful. And thanks for the opportunity, Matt. Oh, thank you, Dr. Perez. Enjoyed the conversation. Dr. Isle? Um, you know, and I guess to conclude, I'd just say, you know, CMC is uh, a critical part of the overall package that is, is needed if you want to have a successful IND. Um, the regulators have the patients um, as their primary, protecting the patients as their primary goal. And, and so our goal and our job in CMC is not just to make the drug, but also to um, assemble the data package that says, yes, this is safe. It, it is uh, reasonable um, to take into patients and uh, to uh, really allow us to start testing. Is, is the drug a, a real thing? Is the biology going to make sense? Does, does the 
the biological hypothesis um, that's the, the basis of this uh, developing this drug. Does that work? We don't want CMC to get in the way of being able to test the, the true value of the drug and its value to patients. Mm -hmm. An interesting concluder from a man who makes his living in CMC. <laughs> I, uh, I appreciate again the, uh, the, the time and I'm, I'm so thankful that you both uh, agreed to share your insight and, and knowledge and experience with us. Um, and I hope we have an opportunity to talk again sometime very soon. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. That was Drs. Edith Perez and Nathan Isle. I'm Matt Piller, and this is the Business of Biotech. We're produced by Bioprocess Online in partnership with Cytiva, which offers a host of great resources for new and emerging biopharma companies on its Emerging Biotech Accelerator at citivalifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech. Check that out. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter at bioprocessonline.com. And thanks for listening.